Welcome to Linda's Corner. My name is Linda Bjork, and today we're going to be talking about sexual assault awareness and survivor advocacy. I'm grateful to welcome special guest Jenna Ashlin. Jenna is an award-winning author and survivor advocate. You can learn more about Jenna and her books on her Amazon author page, and you can also reach her on social media, and I'll include those links in the description. Welcome, Jenna. I'm so glad that you could join with me today. Hi, I'm glad to be here. How's your day going so far? Oh, it's been lovely. It's been a lovely day. Well, I want to, if it's okay, let's kind of start with your story. First of all, I am so proud of you for being able to escape an abusive relationship. And that is so much harder than it sounds. And I think that's where we'd like to go today to be able to help increase awareness, help people be able to understand why it's hard, and then to be able to empower people who are in those circumstances to get out. So can we start with your story? Well, my story began, um, unfortunately, I was became a widow at the age of 30. Whoa. And yeah, that was, that was awful. And that's kind of how it began. That, that wasn't even the worst part, although it stuck with me for years. And, um, but I didn't really get the chance to wait years to heal, um, unfortunately. I, it kind of started a domino effect of events that wasn't great because um, for some reason guys were just kind of coming out of the woodwork and they were hitting on me and my mind was not in the right place. So um, I went looking for, you know, a guy friend to kind of help deflect that a little bit so I could feel a little bit safe, just somebody that I could talk to and that I could lean on. And this guy does show up and at first he's great. He's very, you know, compassionate and is very understanding whenever I say that, hey, I'm not ready for a relationship. And then he started pushing, pushing. And in my head, I'm thinking, well, you know, he seems like a really good guy. I shouldn't let him go. You know, so months, you know, weeks or months later, I don't remember which for sure. I eventually kind of gave in. And it was the same thing whenever he started telling me he loved me. I'm like, well, really ready to say anything like that yet. Uh, eventually, I, I kind of, it kind of, he wore me down. And over time, you know, this really great guy that I thought that I should give a chance to started to turn into something different. And after a little while, I wasn't really allowed to talk about my husband that had died in, and I wasn't allowed to mourn him the way that I needed to because he would get really jealous and he would get disappointed and, and, and upset. So I had to start getting quiet. And that's when I started writing. That's actually, um, you know, I started kind of writing out what had happened and that was my way of coping. And I kind of created this, this world of all the things that I should have done. Well, it took me about four or five years to really start to, to heal up and to be able to feel um, different emotions and stuff again, because I was completely shut down. And then whenever I did wake up, um, you know, I was in the midst of this battle with this man who I'd feel very pressured into marrying. And 
I I started to slowly become aware that things were not as they seemed. And he was very manipulative. He made me feel like I was crazy. And that's kind of just the beginning of of things that it just got steadily worse from there. So, so this situation, was it mostly just mental and emotional abuse then, not physical, not anything like that? Um, it, there was a lot of sexual abuse that started happening. Um, okay. Whenever I would say no to doing certain acts, he wouldn't let me. He would just kind of shove me back down or he would beg until I gave in. There was a lot of manipulation and coercion. A lot of times I was put in positions where I really, it wasn't safe to say no. And, and that became, you know, the sexual assault and the man- manipulation and coercion started to get more and more physical um, to the point where he actually broke a metal bread frame in half. And there's holes in like my bathroom door, um, things like that. Okay. So horrible situation. And at what point did you realize, I don't need this. I can get out of this. Um, It took me a long time to figure out how to get out of it. But I think one of my biggest moments was whenever my youngest daughter, she was about eight or nine years old at the time, I was tucking her into bed one night and she said, mommy, I want a new daddy. And that's when I knew that it wasn't just affecting me. Um, It was affecting all three of my kids because she was kind of the spokesperson. You know, she's the youngest, but she was kind of like the, the level headed, very giving, very loving, empathetic, little girl and she's telling me she wants a new daddy and you know at that point I'm like how am I supposed to do that and then that kind of got the ball rolling as I slowly started to figure out okay well how how am I going to take be able to take care of me and the kids I had went from living in subsidized housing to um, renting a place and then um, eventually um, buying a home and he wasn't working. It was me who was doing all the supporting in the, in the marriage. And, you know, he kept saying that he was disabled and that he couldn't, but really I knew that he could because he had like a lot of social anxiety and things like that. And anytime that I would bring it up, it would be, you know, how dare you um, suggest that I get a job, you know, that I can't, and then it would kind of be turned around on me. So I eventually built a career and it took me, it took me a few years to get out. So even though you were financially supporting you and your husband and your family, you still didn't feel like you could support yourself once you were out of the relationship? Um, There was nowhere for us to go. Okay. You didn't have a place to go. Okay. And you couldn't kick him out? I tried. He got with it. He got very violent every time I said, you know, I think you'd be happier somewhere else. You know, I don't, you know, I said, a, and I really meant them too, especially in the moment, because I'm like, well, maybe you'd be better 
with somebody that loved you more that didn't have like all this baggage stuff where, you know, I miss my husband that died and he would say, I'm never going to leave you. You can't get rid of me. And, you know, it would turn around to me being the bad guy again, which I mean, I was a little bit, but I really just wanted out of the situation. If I talked to him about, you know, some of the things that the kids were saying or feeling and trying to fix that situation, he would get madder and, you know, start throwing stuff around the house and telling me that I didn't need to be listening to my kids, which is ridiculous. So I couldn't get him to leave the house. Mm -hmm. And I knew that. And even though I tried on several occasions, he just wouldn't leave. And there were no shelters around there. You know, I didn't have the kind of family support that would um, give us a place to stay. And here I am with three kids and, and myself and this man that will not get out. Wow. Okay. So it was challenging to be able to try and figure out, like physically, where do I go? And you found a place. What did you find? What what finally worked? Um, I eventually, um, at one point, he... I was working so much. I was working an hour and a half away. Um, and that was just, you know, one way. So, and I was working like 60 hours a week, um, managing a jewelry store, um, in a neighboring town, trying to get extra, um, training and stuff to take a official management position. And he came to me and he's like, you're gone all the time. I'm really lonely. I want to have an open marriage. I was devastated completely. And I cried about it for a week and he kept pestering every single day, at least three times a day. Like anytime that I seen him or talked to him, he wanted to know an answer. So eventually I gave in with the hopes that, Hey, maybe find somebody else, which to be in a position where that feels like the best option, it was, was really rough. At that point I was suicidal because I couldn't find a way out because believe me, I tried and, and I was starting to fight back. So I started to save money and I really invested in my career because they have a bonus system. And eventually I put a stop to the open marriage because, you know, here I am giving him money so he can go out on dates with other women and I'm barely able to even see you my were kids. paying for his dates. Um, yeah. There is something wrong with this picture. Like all kinds of yes, things are was, wrong with this picture. Okay. Yeah. It was awful. It was really, wow. really awful. Okay. And I told him at one point I gained enough strength and I was like, okay, just a moment of courage. Even if he hits me or whatever, at least then I'll have evidence, you know, of some of the things that he he's doing. And I said, listen, you need to get a job. You are not going to keep doing this. We are ending this open relationship. You have like three months to work on this marriage or you're out. That's it. And I just didn't, I had to, it was so hard to find the strength to do it because he had worn me down for years and I was working constantly, barely able to see my children. And, you know, they're starting to face some mental health issues with that. But eventually, you know, consistently, you know, he started to listen. He did get a job. And when he got a job, 
he did find another target. And I had to, I ended up having to pay him $200 a month for a year and $5,000. And so he kept that money. But Wait, so is this like um, a settlement agreement, a divorce agreement, or was this just a, an arrangement? It was a had? divorce. Okay. okay. It was a divorce agreement in order to be able to get mm-hmm. the divorce. Um, because I kept, as we were supposed to be working on the relationship, I kept finding him on dating sites. And people would come into me while I was at work because I was I was really never anywhere else. And um, telling me, hey, I want you to see these messages. And it just kept getting worse and worse. And and because it's supposed to be an open marriage, but it wasn't really open. It was open for him because any time that he heard about me talking to anyone and he would like or anything like that, he would like watch me from the parking lot looking into the store where I was working and anytime that he saw me talking to anyone or heard that I talked to anyone, um, whenever I got home that night, um, like things were really bad. And like during this whole process, it like, it never slowed down. If anything, it sped up and he got more violent. Um, there's things that are listed in the book. I'm just trying not to say too much because, you know, people may not have had like a trigger warning. But there were there were times whenever I woke up in really bad situations or, um, you know, I would be trying to talk to my mother on the phone or or the school on the phone or something like that, that, you know, he would, you know, push me down or throw me down and I would be violated even with me trying to push him away. Wow. So I use that as a tool for power and it's such an intimate betrayal. Uh, as far as your um, not not valuing and respecting yourself and your body and your space, and that's a, a very very intimate violation. So I'm sorry that you went through that, and that it was so hard to get out. But I am grateful that you are out. I I would like to see what made the difference. I mean, how it it sounds like he he has another target. That's kind of helpful for you, not really helpful for the next person, but, um, and then did you serve him divorce papers? Did he get out? Did he sign? Did you find a place or did he leave? I mean, what, how did, I want out. (laughs) Yeah. Um, he eventually signed the divorce papers whenever enough money was involved. And that sounds so horrible, but like, that's, that's the way it was. That's like the only chance that I had. And, um, he wouldn't, even after I filed the paperwork and we were legally separated, he wouldn't leave until the day of the divorce. Like we rode in the same vehicle to the courthouse and then drove back together. And then he like, I locked myself in the bedroom while he changed the rims on his vehicle before he would leave. He wouldn't leave. So, I mean, in a situation like that, are you allowed to get legal help and get someone to help get him out, like involve the police? It's time for you to leave because he hasn't been respecting you this whole time. So he's not going to start now. I couldn't prove anything. It was my word against his. Hmm. And so there there really wasn't anything anybody could do because he wasn't like leaving bruises on me. He I mean, he was at times, but like, I never seemed to catch him 
because I still had to work. You know, I was the manager of a, of a pretty important business and people were like constantly calling off. So I had like virtually no opportunity, like when things were fresh to, you know, go to the hospital and our hospital, we live in a really small town and there was just not the kind of support or the kind of help that, that we needed in this, you know, where I'm from, because it's a very small, very small town. Oh, that's frustrating. Okay, so is he leaving you alone now? Um, he has no choice but you. I actually filed a um, restraining order against him. Okay. I tried to, like, right after things were happening because he was harassing me for more and more money. And they said, okay, well, we'll send him a letter. So they sent them a letter, and he, like, slowed down for a while, and then it started to pick up. But um, so I went back, like, a couple years later, um, partially because I was releasing the book, if I'm being completely honest, I'm like, okay, I'm going to try again because he was like aware of everything that was happening in my family. And that wasn't cool because like, he just seemed to know everywhere that I was and he would follow me around the store and he would stare at me and do all of these things. And it was very, very unnerving. I was just kind of waiting for him to like make a move. I had screenshots of conversations for years where he said, if you say anything to anyone, I'm going to make your life living hell and I'm going to come after you if you say any of the things that happened in our marriage. Which now you have written a book. So how is that going to uh, go down? Well, I needed to write the book. It started out being you know, kind of just about my healing and everything. And then about halfway through, it was, you know, I wanted to help other people. I realized, you know, this, this is a tool that can, can really be used to kind of pull people out and see that there is a way to escape, even if it seems hopeless, that there is brighter and better things ahead for you. Um, so I'm using a pen name. I changed his description and um, it is my publisher because um, it is traditionally published. It's not um, self-published or anything like that. So they kind of went through and made sure, and they're calling it a um, fictional retelling. So, you know. So legally you're covered. How about for retaliation from him? Because he doesn't sound like a nice person. He's definitely not a nice person. Um, I have considered relocation. But it's going to be a while before I can manage to do that. Um, but I um, got my concealed carry permit okay. in case he tries to break into our, my home or do something physically. Wow. I hope it doesn't come to that. Wow. I'm sorry for all you've gone through. So I'm going to have to go back a little bit to kind of explain. Because you mentioned, you know, his next target, the next girl. Um, she came to me early on as they, I mean, he cheated on me with her and she didn't realize it. And like, I didn't hold it against her. She didn't know. And I knew she didn't know. And at that time I'm like, okay, I felt bad for her though. Cause like I met her, she reached out to me and she asked some questions because rumors were flying that he, from like my neighbors and people that she knew that um, he wasn't good to me. And they had said like a few things, but not a whole lot. And she's like, you know, tell me about this. And at that time, you know, my frame of mind was like, you know, he will probably love her more because, you know, she is going to be capable of, of doing that. 
you know, loving him the way he personally needs to, we just weren't a good fit. Because that's kind of the mindset, because you're still blaming yourself, because that's just kind of what they do. And, you know, I just wanted to think the best of people. So I kind of kept that door open just in case. And I was really not sure. And I told her that, I was like, you know, the rumors are true. And anytime that I would go into where she worked, you know, I would talk to her a little bit. And I really kept those doors open. There was absolutely no reason for me to be mad at her. And a couple years later, she, she contacts me and she tells me that um, she found messages where he'd been on places like Craigslist talking to men and women and sending new pictures and talking about all the things that they were going to do together. He was doing, um, he was talking to prostitutes and she asked him about it because, you know, she's like very pregnant with his child. And he throws her up against the refrigerator and leaves a huge dent in it. And, and that was something that just didn't stop for her. And she contacted me and she started asking some questions and stuff. And eventually with us sharing our stories and talking, um, she got out and I was able to kind of help her, you know, realize what was really going on and get past, you know, that narcissistic mind meld that she was in because that's like the same thing that I went through. So that inspired me to do advocacy training. Let's see if we can turn the page a little bit. We've been going through this, this trauma and this story and I can feel, even though I didn't live it, I can feel that anxiety, that pain, that frustration, that helplessness. And it is, uh, it, it hurts. It hurts. Even just listening hurts. So can we turn it so that let's look for something that is hopeful and happy to say, okay, you're going through a horrible situation. First of all, you don't deserve this. It's not your fault. And then let's get some courage together and get out. And then getting out isn't enough. Then we have to heal. So this is a, a multi-step process of, of trying to turn our, our life into something that is joyful, peaceful, and we feel empowered. And nothing like that is ever going to happen again because I'm not going to let it. So can we go kind of in that direction? What have you done to help heal and get your power back? I'd love to, because you know what? A lot of people go through trauma and, and abuse and unfortunately it's not new, but I live such a blessed life now. Like everything is so much better. And that was a lot of work. It was a lot of soul searching. I started journaling and, and really kind of going through the process. And I went to therapy and it actually started, um, before he left. I started, there was um, a counselor that I could contact through text messaging and, and stuff through my employment that they offered. So I was messaging therapists every day. Um, I was talking to people every day. I was journaling every day. And I was finding these patterns in myself because, you know, there was a part of me that didn't recognize what was going on and didn't recognize those red flags and wasn't in the right state of mind to really understand those things. And I knew that if I was going to be able to 
move on and live a better life and be able to love again because that was very important to me. I'm hopeless romantic. You know, I wanted to love and, and to live the life that I wanted to lead because I hadn't for a very long time. So I put in so much, you know, ridiculously heavy amount of work very, very quickly. And, you know, they say, well, you can't heal in like a year or two. If you're doing it every day, if you're really digging deep and, I mean, re-triggering yourself and examining those emotions, because I would journal, I would get triggered, I would be upset, I would journal, and I would write everything out, and then I would go back and, you know, whenever I was in a better state of mind, and I would, I would go back and I'd read it, and I started to see patterns, and I started asking myself why, okay, why do I feel that way? Why did I do that? And then I would ask why again, and I would really dig in deep. And now um, life is completely different. I have a beautiful relationship. It's like I, I love more now than I ever thought I possibly could. Like it seems so cheesy to say that, you know what, the sun is brighter. You know, the world is more beautiful because I can appreciate life in all of its beauty, and there's nothing holding me back. I'm so glad. So I'm hearing here a couple of different things. One is you've been going through a healing process, and you're putting in the work. Another thing is that you recognized places where you were accountable, and that is that takes a lot of courage to be able to do that. And you've also given an example of hope that it's worth it. It's worth it. And things are better on the other side. So I appreciate those kinds of, of insight that, um, that it's worth it. It's worth it to get out of the yucky situation. There's something better available for you, not just for other people who are lucky, but for you and for me too, that there's happiness available for us and that we are worthy of all of that. So I appreciate you going through these steps and being able to um, pull yourself out and then be an example for other people. There will be people who will resonate specifically with your story and to see you be able to pull out and to be able to move forward. They'll say, man, Jenna did it. Jenna did it. And Jenna said that it was worth it. So maybe it's worth it for me too. So well done. Thank you. I mean, I can't even fully express how happy I am now. I mean, I'm getting married in June. It's just um, not long from now at all. And I'm so excited. And, you know, he and I had to put forth a lot of work too. He had to be very open and there has to be a lot of communication because you're going to get triggered. But if you're willing to put forth the work and you find someone that is willing to put forth the work with you and be open to communication and, and help you dig through this mess, it's so worth it because I feel like living in a fairy tale. You know, I feel like Cinderella. I went through years and years and years of horrible neglect and abuse and manipulation, but now I found my Prince Charming and I'm off to, to marry him very soon. Mm. Congratulations. I'm so glad that your story has a happy ending. 
and thank you for visiting with me today. Thank you. In closing, I'd like to share a quote by author Maggie Young. She said, Abusive relationships exist because they provide enough rations of warmth, laughter, and affection to clutch onto like a security blanket in the heap of degradation. The good times are the initial euphoria that keeps addicts draining their wallets for toxic substances to inject into their veins. Scraps of love are food for an abusive relationship. If you are in an abusive relationship, I invite you to stop settling for scraps and to know that you are worthy of an abundant buffet of love, warmth, laughter, and affection. See you next time on Linda's Corner. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode of Linda's Corner, please share and subscribe to help us reach new listeners. I also invite you to check out my nonprofit, Hope for Healing, at the website hopeforhealingfoundation.org for free ebooks, free audiobooks, and other free resources to help increase happiness, build confidence and self esteem, strengthen relationships, manage stress, and calm feelings of depression and anxiety. I also invite you to grab a copy of one of my books, like Crushed A Journey Through Depression, or Amazon bestseller You Got This an action plan to calm fear, anxiety, worry, and stress. See you next time on Linda's Corner.